scripture, which is John 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand for scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of God. If we look back to what we encountered on Good Friday and we wrestled with on Monday, Thursday here and the Good Friday service uh, that was at Twin Cities, the community-wide Good Friday service, it was just a joy to be together with the wider church. Where we laughed less, the story was this. By dusk on Friday, Joseph and Nicodemus had finished burying the dead body of Jesus. The disciples were hiding, fearing their own arrest, torture, and death. All their dreams of national liberation and spiritual revival had died when their master Jesus had uttered these words, it is finished. While every other Jew in Jerusalem was celebrating the Passover, commemorating the freedom from Egyptian slavery that the Jews had experienced in the past, the disciples of Jesus were cowering in fear. As the whole city enjoyed rest on the Sabbath Saturday, the disciples sat numb with grief. Saturday passed. Night fell again. Shortly before dawn, on that new day, we're told that early on that day, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. 
So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent in and looked and saw strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb, and he saw the strips lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around his head. The clothes were folded up by itself, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside, and he saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead, Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and looked inside the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around. And she wondered. Jesus saw, saw Jesus standing there, but she thought he was the gardener. She did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus says, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to Friends, we don't get Easter if we don't get the darkness of that first day. Last night at about 3 a.m., I had to wake up and come over to the church, and it was dark because our Mexico mission team had returned safely. We rejoiced in seeing their smiling faces that they had had this experience and adventure and served and had returned. But for Mary and the other women the gospel tells us about, other gospels tell us about, they did not have hope. They did not see the resolution of the experience. They walked to the tomb with eyes red with weeping, fraught from sleepless Sabbath nights. Mary was on the way to the tomb, perhaps to bring more spices, perhaps just to weep, perhaps just to be there because there was nowhere else to be, nothing else to do, nothing else seemed to matter or would ever matter if the grave was the end. John's account begins with that visit. Each gospel tells us that either Mary or Mary along with other women had gone to the tomb that day. What's certain is that it was women who were the first to discover the victory of Jesus over over death. They were the first to preach the gospel to the world. You see... They had a message to share and good news it was worth sharing because they saw him. They experienced him in resurrected form. There was resolution to their grief and loss. The grave was not the end. There was new life that began. 
For Mary that day, walking to the tomb in darkness, she was fraught with grief and fear and loss. But then she saw the tomb, the stone, removed from the entrance. There was an opening. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, saying, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. If the, if the stone had been remained, Mary would still be there in her grief, or stuck there, I should say. But because the stone had been removed, there was hope. There was new possibility. There was new life that she would witness and see in the near future. To see Mary transformed out of her grief and into a place of hope would take the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the stone was removed that day gives us an opportunity to look and see that it really happened. The grave was empty. That new life had began through Jesus You know, that God who moved the stone that day didn't move the stone so that Jesus could get out. He was already gone. The stone was removed that day so that people could get in and they could see and witness for themselves that it was empty, that he was gone. You know, the God that moved that stone that day so that we could see and celebrate resurrection is a God that still moves stones today. Stones that we can't move on our own strength or ability. Stones that we feel stuck behind in our lives without his movement. The God who moved the stone that day and brought about resurrection, new life for Jesus, can move the stones of addiction. Stones that we feel stuck behind. Stones that we felt so heavy to carry over the years, stones that we've sought to remove on our own strength or ability and have given up time and time again, he can still move stones and bring new life again. One of my friends, Jeremy, just had 11 on his Facebook post yesterday, and I knew that meant 11 years sober, that Jeremy had experienced new life through Christ. Friends, there are stones that are too heavy for us to carry, too big for us to move. Yesterday, we were working on the property, you know, cleaning things up to beautify the space for, to welcome you here today. And I noticed that on the side of the road where they had done some road work in preparation for the new apartment complex, they had left two large granite stones there on the ground. I went down to try to remove them so it didn't look unsightly and pretty quickly realized there's no way I'm carrying this on my own. I was not strong enough. I found one of my friends and we carried the stone up the side and threw it in the trash because we didn't need it anymore. It didn't have a place. It didn't have a purpose. Jesus was risen from the dead and the Father God, strong enough to save Remove that stone, and he still moves stones today. Some of us struggle with the stone of grief or loss. We've had some hardship or difficulty in our life, a pain or sorrow that has beset us, and it just feels like the weight of that grief and the weight of that loss has undone us. But I'm here to tell you today that God moved that stone of grief and loss in my own life and brought new life about for me. And he could do that for you if you let him. Because the grave is not the end. There's new life that began that day. 
and new life that can begin for each one of us. For some of us, the stone that needs removal is that of fear or doubt. We might be like Peter when he arrives at the tomb and just be lost in wonder, wondering what happened, what had occurred. But Jesus can remove that stone, the stone of fear and doubt, and bring you to a place of faith and trust. Mary didn't stay that day at the tomb. She ran to tell the disciples, they have taken away the Lord. I don't know where they have put him. And then we see more people running. Peter and the other disciple, John, the one Jesus loved, respond to the empty tomb by running to the tomb. And I love the way John recounts the story. If you paid close attention, he mentions five times that he outran Peter. He wants to gloat a little bit. He, being a younger man, he lived to the end of the century. John was the last man standing among the disciples. Died a death at a ripe old age on the island of Patmos as a religious prisoner there. Being the younger man, he outran Peter that day. Pastor Greg passed on a fun meme to me this last week. It's John and Peter in a fictional conversation. John saying to Peter, I won. Peter said, yeah, but it was only the two of us. No one will ever know. And John whispers, oh, the world will know. You know, I could tell my own story with Jesus through three runs. One was when I was running in high school, and I was lost. Didn't have a sense of meaning or purpose in my life. And my dad encouraged me to go out for the cross-country team, and I started running in the midst of running during my high school years. I found Jesus intersecting my story, giving me new reason to run, to live. Later in life, I went through an experience of extreme loss and grief, And in processing that grief, I found God's invitation to me was to train for a marathon and run a marathon. And over the months that I ran and built up miles and prepared to run a marathon, I found Jesus intersecting my story through his resurrected presence. I found new life blooming around me as I ran one spring, much like we're experiencing around us finally today. And I found that Jesus could meet me in those places of loss and bring me to a place of new life again and new hope. You know, I'm still running. I hit 50 this last year. It's only about 10 miles a week and my knees hurt every time. But I'm still running and I want to say that that's about still living and still serving and still pointing people to Jesus. And you know, friends, those three runs in my own life may be similar to parts of your story. Parts of your story that you need to leave behind, much like the grave clothes that Jesus left behind. The disorder of your life that you need God to make some order out of. I love the fact that John and Peter look in and it says that strips of linen were lying there in like an orderly fashion, as if Jesus had risen out of them, not wrestled out of them. Part of John's coming to belief was, you know, if robbers had done this, they would have taken the body and the grave clothes and all, or the clothes at least would have been tousled and thrown about like one of my kids' bedrooms. But that day there was order. You see, Jesus had died in the midst of the chaos and disorder of sin in this world in order to bring order 
to bring new relationship, a new kind of relationship with God possible through him. I love the fact that the disciples run. They look in and they see Peter. We're told just this kind of lost in wonder of it. But John sees the events through the eyes of love and looking at the, eye, through the, at the empty tomb and the orderly grave clothes there through the eyes of love. We are told that he saw and he believed. Love enables that. Love enables belief. And love enables us to see clearly what happened here? The more we love Jesus, the more we'll grow in that love and in that understanding of what occurred that day, that the grave was empty and that Jesus had risen and it was really true. There's a famous painter named Doré who had a young artist come to him. This young artist had painted a picture of Jesus and he came, brought it to Doré to show him, to get his opinion of it. And the famous artist Doré was just silent before this painting. And the young artist kind of waited like, I want to hear what he has to say. And finally, Doré said, you don't love him or you would have painted him better. You see, we can either understand Jesus nor help others understand unless we take into our hearts as well as our minds what happened that day. It's not just an intellectual occurrence like the grave was empty, therefore he must have risen. No, it's a heartfelt experience where we recognize that God can enter into our own emptiness like the empty tomb that day, but he can fill it with new meaning and purpose because of his resurrection. And friends... This is a story worth sharing and celebrating as you've come today to believe, but not only believe because of what wasn't there, but also believe because of what was there. And when these disciples would put the pieces of the puzzle together, they would see that Scripture said this was going to occur later on, not then that day in the midst of the wonder of it all, but later they could see that Scripture said In Psalm 16, 10, that you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. What David prayed that day came true in Jesus. In the prophet Isaiah, 600 years or more before Jesus' time, in Isaiah 53 would say, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life. In Hosea 6, 2, it says, on the third day, one will rise. John's account demonstrated that the disciples did not invent the resurrection in order to fulfill old testament prophecies they did not immediately see that connection the fact that the resurrection was solidified later through their own searching process and in friends if you're in a place of doubt today which you know is understandable in the midst of the wonder of it all i want to say this do your own search see what really happened that day See that the resurrection of Jesus really is the key to the Christian faith. You see, Jesus rose just as he said, and because he did, we can be confident, therefore, that Jesus will accomplish all he has promises. That his promises can come true in our own life. That Jesus' bodily resurrection shows that the living Christ, not a false prophet or imposter, is the ruler of God's eternal kingdom. He reigns and rules even now. That because Jesus was resurrected, we can be certain of our own resurrection, that death is not the end and that there will be future life and that the divine power, the power of God that brought Jesus back to life that day is now available to bring our spiritually dead selves back to life. The resurrection 
is the basis of our witness to the world. If it didn't happen, Paul says in Corinthians, we are people that are without hope. But as a result of the resurrection, the result that it occurred, we have every reason to hope. And if that is true, every tragedy that we go through, every challenge or difficulty can be an opportunity to see Jesus' redemptive power, that he can bring about resurrection through those real life experiences, that he can show us that in the midst of the pain we experience living in a fallen world, there is new life because he lives again. When we trust and know that like John see and like John see and believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, we can see the stones of doubt and discouragement in our life removed. We can see the stones of addiction removed. We can see the stones of grief and loss. We can see everything that impedes us removed so that we can receive the gift that he has to give. Friends, some of us are still living with grave clothes on as if Jesus was still there in the grave and wrapped in those clothes. Old ways of life still seem to shroud us, still seem to kind of hem us in. And the invitation that day of Jesus' resurrection is to lay those clothes behind. You don't need them anymore. They don't fit anymore. That's not the life that Jesus has intended for you and not the life that he invites you into. There's new life there. A new life that intersects us in the midst of our grief and loss and sadness. Just think of Mary's process of realizing the resurrection. We're told that Peter and John went back to where the other disciples were. They're kind of caught in wonder. John's got the inkling of belief. But Mary stays and weeps and continues there at the tomb. But then she peers in again in the grave. And she sees two angels seated at where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and one at the foot. And the angels say, woman, why are you crying? And our response to that question is, duh. I mean, Jesus died. She hasn't seen him yet. Of course she's crying. But in the great reversal of the gospel, in the great reversal of the empty grave and the resurrection of Jesus, the grave of Jesus is the last place there should be tears and grief because there's joy and fullness of life. But Mary still bowed down in her grief. We were told this was, was sitting there and, and weeping. I mean, the Greek word here is that she is literally sobbing. And then she hears a voice behind her. Why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? And then she hears the words, Mary. And it transformed Everything. The sound of her name in his voice was all she needed to hear. She turns and declares, Rabbi, Rabboni, teacher. In other words, she, he is not just her savior in his resurrection. He is her teacher and her Lord because everything he taught over the years had now become validated in his resurrection. Everything that he had spoken about becomes verified because he is true to who he says he is and what he would do and accomplish. Because of the resurrection, she had a teacher again. She could go back to school and continue to learn and grow about who God is. And how much he loves her. Because he had risen from the dead. She had a Lord. She had a master. She had a leader in life. She was no longer bound in her grief. She was given new hope and new opportunity. Because Jesus knew her name. 
and called her by name. And friends, I want to remind you that that great recognition that Mary experienced that day, that great wake up to who Jesus was and the reality of his resurrection is a great recognition that each and every one of us can experience. It comes to acknowledging our need for a savior because of our sin. It comes with acknowledging that we need a Lord, somebody else to guide our lives. We need a teacher. And it comes to receiving the reality that Jesus knows your name. That one day, all those who place their faith and trust in Jesus will hear that name spoken of in heaven. A name that welcomes you and ushers you into God's eternal kingdom. And if that's true, we can turn and wrestle with those questions that Jesus asks anew and afresh and the call that he gives. Jesus' questions and call related to his resurrection become new when we then ask the question, why are you crying? Because there's no reason to cry if Jesus has risen from the dead. All things will be made new. The grave is not the end. That's true for those we love who have placed their faith in Jesus and it's true for you. Mary, sadly, was still turned towards the grave. The old way, her her wrestling and her questioning, it was only when she heard her name that she turned and entered into the new life that Jesus had for her. The question, "Who who are you looking for, is answered anew and afresh. Are you looking for Jesus? Or are you looking for some other source of life and vitality? Are you looking for something else to save you? Or are you looking at Jesus, but you're looking at him to rescue you or, or do something for you versus be in a relationship with him? What Jesus does for Mary that day is lead her into a new kind of relationship, the new possibility of relationship, a relationship that moves one out of doubt and discouragement into faith and trust. And some of you are still stuck in that old way of life. Perhaps like Peter, you're just wondering and questioning about the tomb at first. You think, it's impossible. It must, there must be some earthly explanation. Or perhaps like John, you have the inklings of belief, but you're still wondering. And you're still living in each day without a rooted hope. But then, like them... You can encounter Jesus personally. You can, you can accept him as your Lord and Savior, accept the reality of the resurrection and experience new life. But then even more, you can commit yourself to the risen Lord and allow him to live his life in you and through you. You can serve him and you can find new meaning and purpose in him like I have. It's all an invitation, friends. An invitation that waits accepting but it's an invitation that's verified. You might take it like this. Maybe you've heard about a party for a friend, a wedding or something that's coming up, but you're not sure if you're invited. But then all of a sudden the invitation comes in the mail. The visible affirmation that you've been invited to this party. And Jesus would give visible affirmation of his resurrection and that they were being invited into a new relationship because he came And stood in the room with them. Locked doors didn't keep him out. Jesus entered that room. They saw him. And the way those people went on to live their lives and turn this world upside down would take them having seen him. There's no other explanation for their witness 
and the power of the gospel that went out through them. But it's not only that they saw and experienced them, him, it's that he, they, he imparted to them peace. Three times in the passage, he says, peace be with you. And friends, don't we need to know about that peace right now in the midst of everything going on in our life? Our world is described by anything but peace right now. An extent of conflict and violence, loss of life that's unnecessary and agonizing. In the midst of all that would would cause us confusion and doubt, Jesus says, peace be with you. I've overcome the grave. The grave does not have the last word. I can lead you into new life. He had visible proof of it. See my hands and my feet. The nail scars were there in his hands, his feet, and in his side where the spear was run through. This really was Jesus, and Jesus had really risen from the dead. This was no phantom. This was no illusion or hoax. It was him in the flesh. And if that's true, they were now disciples once again. Learners and followers who would then be invited to go out and to share what Jesus had done with the world. And they were not just equipped to do that. Much like our Mexico team might have been sent down without any tools or any ability to build a house this last week. They were actually given the equipment through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to carry out the mission that Jesus had given them. He doesn't call them to do something that then he doesn't empower them to do. He was with them. And he was going to lead them. And he was going to show them what love looked like in and through his resurrection and the power that they needed to go out and to carry out the call that he gave them that day. Jesus would breathe on them and say, receive the Holy Spirit. And friends, there's an open opportunity today to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, to receive a new life through Jesus. When Peter's life was transformed through the resurrection and the power of the Spirit at Pentecost, he said, repent and believe the good news and be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you'll experience new life. We had a baptism planned today. It's a baptism that'll be rescheduled a few weeks from now. But I decided to keep the baptismal font up today to remind you and to invite you. For those who have been baptized before, to remind you that your identity is in him and that you are a son or daughter of the living God and to live out that reality and that identity anew and afresh every day. John's gospel says, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But there's others of you who have never expressed outwardly the inward reality that you need a savior. You've never said to God that I'm sorry for my sin. You've never said to Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. You've never said to the Holy Spirit, please come in and make my life new. Jesus' invitation to you in response to the resurrection is to receive his forgiveness. Some years ago now, there was somebody who asked to be baptized, and I said, okay, you know, we're, we're Presbyterians here. Would you like to be immersed or sprinkled? And she said, oh, I need the whole thing. I need all of this sin washed away. Sprinkling me, not going to do it. Now, I reminded my sister in Christ, it's not the amount of water that gets the job done. 
It's the inward reality that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and your baptism is but an outward expression of your being washed and made new. But for some of you, you've never decided. You've never accepted Jesus. You never said, I've sinned and I need forgiveness. You've never said to him, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And the invitation to you would be to stop doubting and believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. You never accepted and acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and God. And today might be the day to do that, to leave your doubts and fears behind, to leave your addictions and shame and guilt behind, to leave your grief and sadness even behind, to leave all that might keep you from receiving the new life that Jesus has to give. And today might just be that day to turn in your heart of stone and to receive a heart of flesh filled and invigorated by the Holy Spirit and made new. Friends, if you decide to make that decision today, if you haven't before, just want to remind you, that is personal. That's between you and God. All I can do is invite you. All I can do is proclaim the good news that is here. All I can do is point to the evidence of the resurrection and lay it before you. It's a personal response on your part, whether you accept it or not. But I want to remind you that if you do, there's a community of people waiting for you. There's a group of people here that have experienced the power and presence of the resurrected Jesus Christ in our own lives. He has come in and made all things new. He's entered into the emptiness of our own graves, so to speak, without him. It filled them with meaning and purpose and new life and vitality. And if you decide to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, you are one among many. And friends, you are family. And that family is not just about the joy of going and searching for Easter eggs here in a few moments. That joy isn't just about the delicious coffee cake that was made today and the coffee that's awaiting you. That joy is about living each day in light of what Jesus has done, in light of the life that he has for you. You see, God's plan and design is for relationship with you. And all of us have turned away from that in one way or another and experienced brokenness as a result. But we can turn away from that brokenness and receive what Jesus has done for our forgiveness. And we can renew relationship with God and his plan and design. And the disorder that the disciples felt that day can be reordered for you in relationship with God. We invite Dan and the worship team to come back up. We're about to sing a song, Your Glory, which is one that helps us to enter into what happened that day. And, and, I, and I just invite you, to, as they sing, to allow these words to spill over and out into your life. But as we prepare to hear that song and enter into it, I invite you to join me in prayer. God, we thank you for creating us. We thank you for the new life that you have invited us into. We thank you for creating us and fashioning us each as one of a kind. We say now that we're sorry for our sin and the ways we've turned away from you and your plan and design for relationship with us. Each of us have done that in big ways and in small ways and each of us have experienced brokenness as a result. Today we say thank you for Jesus dying on the cross for our sins.
And we say, please, come into my heart and to my life again. Wash me and make me new. Transform me that I could be like you, renewed and refreshed one day, fully and completely in heaven, where there will be no more goodbyes, where there will be no more tears, where there will be no more grief and loss. For you say, behold, I make all things new. Glory, glory, hallelujah, Jesus, you are good. Everybody sing that now. Glory, glory, hallelujah, Jesus, you are good. I mean, everybody sing this. Glory, glory. That's better.